cheers for His Majesty the King. Hip hip! It's Chappie or British Butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 223. And we're back to almost normal butler duties this week. A uh, little bit of starch on the collar, everything polished, French cuffs every week, shoes very polished, and uh, obviously uh, the morning suit for the morning of Her Majesty the Queen the entire week. I mean, uh, it's it's a little bit uncomfortable going to bed with long tails, I have to say. They get wrapped around the legs, they get wrapped around everything. If you toss and turn a morning suit or the morning tails in bed, and, well, I'm not even going to go into the top hat. I mean, you just can't wear a top hat uh, with uh, sleep apnea. Uh, it, it could be dangerous for you, couldn't it, really? But here we are, again together as happy as can be all good friends and jolly good company for a, a relatively normal edition of keep calm and cauliflower cheese i did two uh, more solemn uh, a little beautiful one would hope uh, a little bit of dash of melancholy uh, for elizabeth the great two editions last week uh, but just wanted to um, take my uh, top hat my bowler hat my flat tweed cap off to his Majesty the King, King Charles. Now, making a little bit of fun at the top of the show. Bloody pen, bloody, 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 bloody hell, bloody hell, bloody hell. I sort of like the grumpy British aristocrat. I mean, not that I'm by any means an aristocrat, but I think I'm turning at the ripe old age of 45. I'm like the uh, apple at the bottom of the barrel, a little bit overripe. Uh, and uh, I, I'm getting a little bit tetchy, a little bit grumpy. I think you get to a certain age where, uh, as, as a gentleman, uh, as an aristocrat, as a king, as in King Charles, you're getting a little bit grumpy. And for gosh sake, his mother passed away a week ago. And he hasn't had a chance to mourn. He's been in front of the cameras the entire time. And he has decided to have the cameras going to reveal basically everything, and that's sort of a warts and all experience, is letting the cameras, social media, everything, into the inner sanctum of the palace. And I commend him for that. I mean, uh, on Friday morning last week, when he got out of the hearse uh, in front of Buckingham Palace and started shaking the hands and talking to everybody, and this wasn't a rushed affair, he wasn't rushing to get through this, he shook a whole line of hands, like probably half a mile of hands. And I commend him for that. But, you know, we're going to have a little bit of joke along the way here. It reminds me of his, of his dad. Bugger you, bloody hell. I mean, you need a bit of that. I love that. Absolutely love that. That's, uh, you know, Brace and Britches, British all the way. 
I just wanted to say happy birthday to my fantastic, lovely, darling daughter, Victoria. I'm very proud of you. Uh, you're amazing, incredibly funny. As you've heard, the listener of Keep Coming Call Without Cheese on the podcast here. And I also want to say happy birthday last Sunday to my delightful, lovely mother. Two September birthdays, two Virgos. I think, you, I think an Aries needs a calming Virgo, don't they? And you've got two Virgos. I'm not saying Victoria is particularly calm, um, but uh, I love you both. Happy birthday today, Victoria, and happy birthday to my darling mother last week. I love you, both centers of my universe. It's been a very solemn, mournful, yet beautiful and fascinating week for the history buff in me. I absolutely love British history, and I've read everything about the protocols to the marching steps, and I don't know if you saw the, um, firstly, the trip from RAF Northold, which I believe is north of London, into the city of London and back to Buckingham Palace, bringing the Queen home on Wednesday night. It was rainy, it was dank, but the back of the hearse was lit up so you could see the coffin, and it was absolutely illuminating, beautiful. And then you had rows and rows of people waiting for the hearse to pass them as it went through London, through Park Lane, uh, up, uh, up towards Buckingham Palace, and it was lit almost like old-fashioned candlelight but with mobile phone lights it was a litany of lights it was it was something to behold and so beautiful and then the next day the ceremony that occurred at 222 and we may look at that uh, in the podcast uh, over the next couple of days what the significance of that is numbers sometimes are fascinating especially when it comes to dates and traditions and everything else. But at 2.22, the um, procession left Buckingham Palace towards Horse Guards Parade and into Westminster Hall that's right next to Westminster Abbey. And again, the processions of people were amazing. But uh, it was almost as... Um, it, was almost as it was almost as wonderfully choreographed as a Paso Doble on uh, Strictly Come Dancing. It was marvelous. Everything was lockstep, not just the soldiers, not just the Grenadier Guards, the Guardsmen, but the Royal Family in time for the drum. And then you had the solemn but beautiful muffled Big Ben. Every minute there would be a, there would be a cannon fire and then you'd hear the muffled chime of Big Ben. It was so beautiful, and this and this whole week has been very, very sad, but a moment, a pause in history, almost a collective pause where we can all take a breath and remember not only the Queen, the people who've gone before her, my grandparents of a similar age who passed. I mean, it, it, it was like a bygone age, the end of a bygone age in many ways. But what a beautiful reflection and how all the traditions, how all of the protocols lined up perfectly and efficiently. It was the absolute best of British over the last week. 
you know, the monarchy, the throne passes seamlessly and invisibly. That's a term that I've used a couple of times on the podcast recently from Elizabeth to Charles. It was absolutely amazing. So anyway, it's something that I'll never, never forget. And just uh, sometimes your steps feel lighter and you just feel unburdened. And I know a lot of people are very, very sad, and uh, but it's it's there's a certain beauty and mystique about the whole thing, and remembering the Queen over seventy years. Saved some absolute beauties for you over the last couple of weeks, as we sort of resume normal podcasting duties here, and we really have a honey card. Uh, it really, you could see it as almost a cart carrying a load of stinking horse manure. And we resume. We, I, I'm the horse that's pulling this cart of horse manure, this honey cart, uh, towards its eventual goal uh, in the podcasting pantheon. And that's how I see myself. And we're back to, as I said, normal duties today, or fairly normal duties so a question and we'll be exploring this over the podcast today and maybe later in the weekend what is sturdier the cup Suleiman or avec le saucer so it was sturdier the cup with uh without the saucer or with the saucer this is this is in celebration of marks and spencers uh that they're doing away with the saucer what are we doing with the saucier? Where is it? Oh, la la. Uh, and also, I was uh, I was almost like uh, here's here's one for the kids. I was all like almost like Steptoe and Son. I was like the rag and bowman at the trash skip at the rubbish skip the other day. We are going to have uh, coming in live potato crop updates uh, from East Anglia. Uh, we we need a potato crop update. It's very very important. Um, if you have a uh, gout or any foot disease, have you tried wrapping your foot in foil almost like the beleaguered Christmas turkey? My father did this the other day, and uh, by all accounts, it solved all his ails and ills. Um, and, you know, reflecting on everything to do with uh, Her Majesty the Queen, the later Majesty the Queen, um, uh, we saw the other day sadly when the announcement came it was raining and um, they decided to put one of the best British things in the world the British black sack over the podium and microphones I mean that was a, that was quite an image it was the classic British black sack that uh, is the only waterproof item you can ever find forget Gore-Tex that doesn't work the British black sack is the best thing I mean I played golf with the traditional British black sack over my feet. And it, it keeps it out, completely waterproof. Nothing can get through. Nothing can get through. Uh, you know, if, you ever, if you're ever on a, on a boat, on the ocean, cut a couple of armholes, head holes, the British black sack's the way to go. And also, have you got the new iPhone? My new iPhone's coming, and don't be jealous. It, it, it actually folds in half, and you can create a toasted cheese sandwich. I mean, it's, it's superb. And you can take a selfie at the same time. You can make a toasted cheese sandwich and a selfie 
at the same time. Also, um, looking at the queen being the matriarch of the nation, I had another. I have another tale from Naz, the old Uber, old Uber driver. Tales of the old Uber driver. I have another beauty for you the other day, and um, I got into the car rather grumpy, and I got out of the car rather happy. We'll be explaining the reasons why. It was also a Lexus as well. The Great British Queuing. Uh, also, Pumpkin Spice is back. Beware. Beware for the Pumpkin Spice. And people are calling me Chappy Tudors. The other day, I made the mistake, or maybe not the mistake, of uh, ordering two dinners. I didn't eat all of them, but it was quite a stressful situation. And the beauty that is all the Paddington Bears around, all the marmalade sandwiches. Now, they need somebody with a healthy appetite for marmalade sandwiches at Green Park in London, and I do feel that I am the chap that's required. So it's a potato season in the uh, Chappie household, and uh, my, my parents are perfecting several new yoga poses when it comes to picking up and harvesting uh, the potatoes. I mean, uh, hopefully there's no d downward dogs or flying eagles when it comes to uh, potato uh, gathering. Uh, but Ma and Pa are, I mean, I believe they've already got eight bags of potatoes. And it's quite good exercise. They're bending, uh, you're bending and squatting to pick up these, uh, these bulbous beauties is something to behold. But I want to, uh, I want to hark back here uh, and give you an illustration, a painted picture, a thumbnail sketch of, uh, of the growing of potatoes uh, in East Anglia, uh, going back to literally my roots. Yeah, my, my farm already, he's already ploughed the field, raised the old taties, as you can see there. He's gonna make some bloody lovely tape. Look at that lovely tractor. There's my dad's tractor right there. As you can see, he's now planting seeds, and I'm now gonna go help him plant some more potatoes. So, yeah. Here we go. Look at that. Look at that. Lovely and straight. Lovely and straight. You can't beat it. Daddy's now um, putting some potatoes in the holes, and yeah, they're all potatoes he's using. Right, there we go, you're putting them right deep in there. Lovely. Can't beat it, can you? He's putting on there, the father. Fertiliser. Bit of fertiliser there. Do you have any ailments that you can't get rid of? Well, my father the other day, I saw him, and sometimes the old school techniques really do work. And uh, loved talking to him on, uh, on uh, FaceTime the other day. And he, uh, he walked over and I, you know, instead of like the clip-clopping of hooves, I heard something scraping along the side, sort of a, like a metallic sound. And he lifted his foot up and he had wrapped his foot in aluminium foil. Or for our American listeners, aluminum foil. Yes, aluminium foil. So if you wrap your feet in a few layers of aluminium foil, one hour later, incredible. So almost every household has aluminium foil stored in the kitchen. People use it to prepare or store food, but only a small number of people know that they can use it to improve their health as well. 
So besides using foil for cooking, you can use it to prevent all sorts of, uh, eliminate some health issues. There's a wide range of applications on this material, getting rid of the common cold, eliminating insomnia, etc. So here's one, saying goodbye to fatigue right away. Now this is something I must try. And maybe I can get uh, get in touch with aliens from uh, out of solar system as well. Uh, if I form an antenna with the aluminium foil. People have used aluminium foil to eliminate fatigue for many years now. And this practice has been supported by many experts. In order to use this foil for this purpose, you should put a few strips of it in the freezer and uh, leave them in there for about three hours. After this, you should put them on the face and make sure that the eyelids or the cheeks are covered. I mean, I don't think this is sending you to sleep. I think this is going to suffocate you. When you remove the foil, you'll see that the signs of insomnia and fatigue are eliminated. Also, you can ease your, the pain in your joints here. It turns out aluminium foil is excellent for getting rid of painful health issues, including gout, arthritis, and heel pain. If you want to get the best results, start by wrapping some aluminium foil all over the problematic area of the body. Well, that's several areas of, uh, of my body. Um, and secure it with the help of a medical bandage. Let the wrap stay during the night. Perform this procedure for at least 10 days, a maximum of 12 days after you take the 15-day break. I mean, my fear, though is if you have to go out shopping or into the town, do you just walk along with the foil on your feet? I mean, could it cause spark? If you have a shell suit on, could uh, it be a danger for inflammable materials, I wonder? It also uh, eases uh, recent burns. Uh, it elimins, eliminates phantom pains. I, I don't know if there's the people who are seeing ghosts or apparitions. Uh, oh no, amputation surgery. So if you, I mean, that's the least of your worries if you've got a stump, I suppose, uh, you know, having pain and wrapping it in foil, then you probably really will look like a decapitated chicken. Um, but you also, it eliminates anything cold. You never know when cold and flu may strike. So it's crucial to learn how to combat the symptoms in a natural way. So one of the ways to combat them is to lose, uh, use aluminium foil, just wrap the feet in six or seven layers of foil and wait for about 60 minutes before removing them. Free the feet for two hours and use the aluminium foil again and you can do this three times a day for a period of a week and it should be able to eliminate and prevent the cold. Now you probably have to have a handkerchief wrapped in garlic as well attached from your nostril hair but I mean that will help the cold as well but yes if you if you're uh, if you have a bit of gout though you know why not try rubbing uh, butter liberally all over your body and then wrapping yourself in aluminium foil and then uh, it's, it's probably 400 degrees for the first 10 minutes and then three hours uh, three hours at probably 315 it'll be perfectly well done and a moist breast so I think I'm just going to try this out here. I've got some aluminium foil. It's, um, it, I, I think it's Walmart's own brand here. And it's pretty thick foil. I have to say, pretty thick. Here we go. So I'm just going to wrap, I'm just going to wrap my foot. Uh, I'm going to see if it's going to cure my ingrown toenail by the end of the show. I'm just going to wrap this out. All right, there we go. So the foot is perfectly wrapped and, um, yeah, I'm sockless as well. Now, I didn't rub any oil or butter on it, uh, but uh, I should be right as rain uh, before the end of the show. 
So important news that we didn't report over the last couple of weeks. It's not just any storm in a teacup. Marks and Spencer's risk controversy by ditching sources for mugs in its cafes. Uh, Marks and Spencer's is breaking with the national tradition by abandoning teacups and sauces in favor in its cafes in favor of mugs. The retail giant is making a, sh- a shift to save water and energy, but it's quicker to clean a single mug rather than two pieces of crockery. Well, what happens if you've got a drippy cup? That's where the saucer captures the drips and helps everything. It's still using teapots, though. <coughs> Households now hardly use a china tea set and instead simply plonk a tea bag into a mug. The most traditional sets are fans Ron and Jennifer Moore, who are regular visitors to M&S in Longbridge, Birmingham, are disappointed. Mr. Moore 86, we, uh, 86 says we go to Marks and Spencer's once a week for our tea and toasted tea cakes for breakfast before doing our weekly shop. We're, we're very friendly with the staff and they've informed us that the cups and sauces were being removed. They're going to be replaced with just mugs and tea bags. This would cost them a lot of customers, especially us pensioners who love a pot of tea. They told us that there's been lots of complaints from pensioners. The staff think it's the cost of electricity to run the dishwashers, so it would appear it's purely financial. Tea sets were first imported from China during George IV's lifetime. From 1762 to 1830, initially a small amount of tea was poured into the saucer to promote rapid cooling. Over time, the saucer size evolved to hold the cup. Handles were only added in Britain around 1750, largely thanks to the designer Robert Adams. Adams made cups that were taller than their base and came with a saucer, which quickly became the standard that's known as the English tea service set. A Marks and Spencer's spokesman says, we've started providing customers with china mugs rather than cups and sauces to reduce water and energy use. It reduces water as a fewer items are needed for dishwashing. We trialled it in 10 cafes and it is now being rolled out to a further 50. Customer feedback has been positive. Well, obviously not for the pensioners. And if you've got, if you have a problem, like a drippy mouth, a saucer captures it rather than going onto your nice clean carpet or a shaky hand. I mean, a lot of older people have a slightly shaky hand. I do on, uh, you know, in time. Uh, and it's nothing to do with the booze. And uh, th- that's where a saucer really does come in handy and is a wondrous thing. So I say that we need to write and put together a petition for Marks and Spencers to keep their saucers. I've recently become a rubbish diver, uh, a trash a trash diver. So uh, there's skips near Chappie Towers here, and I'm moving to a new Chappie Towers in, in, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, no, don't don't be perturbed. I'll still be broadcasting. Don't don't worry about it. Don't, calm yourselves, people. Calm yourselves. So I need boxes. And the other day, it was a Sunday, and we talked about the uh, trash here at Chappie Towers as well. There's some wondrous things. I mean, uh, people are disposing of, uh, you know, carnal pleasure devices. I mean, we've seen absolutely everything. We've seen Buddhas. We've seen rather dodgy Christmas decorations. Absolutely everything. But the other day, there were some boxes, beautiful packing boxes, maybe 10 of them left behind. And I was taking the dogs out and I thought, well, on the way back, I'm going to put those under my arm and uh, I'm going to carry those back uh, back to the uh, back to the, the Chappie Towers. So took the dogs for a walk. They're a little bit exhausted on the way back. 
And then I saw the box. I think, well, instead of taking the dogs back and then coming back to the uh, the tip, uh, to the skip, then I'm going to just put them under the arms and try to maneuver the dogs along uh, whilst having 10 boxes under my arms. I mean, this was a foolish mistake in the beginning. Uh, so I put them under my arms and I started going. And then I realized that I uh, wasn't suited and booted. I wasn't belted. I had no belt on. And this is a terrible, terrible problem because... If you've got like a flat bottom like myself and then a protruding stomach, uh, often the shorts are pushed down. So as I was scooting along with 10 boxes under my arm, a border collie and a corgi in tow, I felt my uh, my shorts were falling down. Yes, they were falling down and um, there's nothing I could do about it. And as I dropped the boxes or let go of the dogs, the uh, the shorts would, uh, would parade down. They would slide down past the calves, under the knees, and right down to the feet. And luckily it wasn't a commando day. You'd be pleased to, pleased to hear that. Um, but, um, and, and, and they no holes in the boxer shorts. I mean, I do practice on high days and holidays, holy boxer shorts on occasion, but that wasn't, uh, wasn't the, uh, the situation either. But I scooted along maybe for five minutes. Um, the neighbors could probably see me uh, with my shorts around my ankle. An interesting fact that uh, I discovered in the week, overall people who enjoyed bitter foods and drinks possessed more malevolent personality traits. Gin drinkers scored high on these frightening traits across the board. The same was true for black coffee, another bitter yet sophisticated drink of choice. Tonic water and dark chocolate were two other psychopath favorites. So as Liz Truss became Prime Minister the other week, the Truss Twitter handle mishap prompts uh, a whole sort of mayhem going on. So the uh, Swedish uh, Prime Minister uh, sent congratulations to at Liz Truss as she assumes the role of Prime Minister of the UK, of Sweden and UK. Um, she will continue our deep and comprehensive cooperation important for our citizens' economies and security but at Liz Truss was a lady uh, known as uh, Liz uh, Liz Trussell and uh, she said um, in reply to the Swedish Prime Minister congratulations looking forward to a visit soon get the meatballs ready uh, meatballs with the Swedish Prime Minister and tea with the corgis uh, high on Liz Truss's wish list after a Twitter handle saw her receive a slew of messages intended for the incoming Prime Minister. This was a few weeks ago. Political allies and detractors mistakenly tweeted Trussell on the news of a promotion to Conservative Party lead and ultimately Prime Minister. Trussell was quick to respond to this unusual case of mistaken identity, urging Sweden's leader to get the meatballs ready for her forthcoming visit. Um, apologies for the previous tweet about the Tory leadership. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if the meatballs browned or boiled. I, I do. I don't want them boiled in the Swedish meatball sauce. I like them to be uh, sort of like slightly bronzed before I'm going to put them anywhere near my mouth. Back to our carb-laden Britishness today. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Uh, all protein, uh, a little bit of protein addition here. But why are beans on toast so popular in England? So if you're uninspired, hungry, broke, or a combination of any of those things, beans on toast can solve a few of those issues. Canned beans are those pantry staples and must-haves. And bread 
usually easy to come by. Combining the two for a quick meal is not only a budget saver, but as far as meal preparation goes, you can't get much more straightforward than opening a can, heating up its contents, buttering some toast and throwing it all together. The combination of beans on toast is an age-old UK breakfast tradition. Yet it's a meal that to this day is fiercely advocated for and against uh, by opinionated eaters. A Twitter debate compiled of by India 100 hotly discussed the merits and demerits of the bean-bread combination, with some participants insisting that the bread and beans is pure delicious comfort, and others going so far as to blame the dish for Megxit. Clearly, beans on toast is a polarizing concept that reminds some people of fond childhood memories or desperate moments at uni, and for others it's a gastronomic experience that can't be understood. The irony is, while beans on toast seems British, American ketchup brand Heinz claims to have vented it nearly a century ago. The story goes that it was the company's way of selling more canned beans produced to its English factories, particularly during World War II, when beans were marketed as an affordable and protein-packed grocery item for those supporting the effort at home. Though Brits are no longer affected by wartime rationing, well, I know with the cost of electricity going up this year, who knows? They still love their cheap and satisfying beans on toast. A dish that nostalgia has truly propelled to the forefront of UK cuisine. One possible explanation for Brits' love of the dish and Americans' loathing of it is that British beans and tomato sauce are not as sugary as the American ones. And it doesn't taste of that barbecue sauce as well. If you're not a fan of the ketchupy beans you can find in the US, you can make beans on toast to the next level by trying... Uh, trying gourmet beans on toast which calls for plain canned beans doctored up with ham and herbs Heinz 57 Heinz 57 You have meals to plan each day You and Heinz can make them gay Get together right away With Heinz 57 Get together with delicious Heinz baked beans to make this week's Heinz hint Heinz scotch beans All you do is roll out some sausage meat Brush with egg. Then place a tablespoon of Heinz baked beans in the center and shape like this. Coat with egg and breadcrumbs or oatmeal. Now pop them into a frying pan and fry for about five minutes on each side. And they're ready. Heinz scotch beans. Don't they look good? That rich tomato sauce makes them extra tasty. It comes a time in your life when you don't want to be quite so athletic anymore. Balmoral Butcher relished the banter with his cheeky royal customer. The butcher who supplied the queen at Balmoral has recalled enjoying such good banter with her majesty even in her final weeks and described her as cheeky. John Sinclair 57 owes H.M. Sheridan Butchers, which holds the royal, royal warrant supplying Balmoral Castle and Burke Hall, the uh, neighbouring estate now owned by Charles III. He said that the Queen usually ordered in lamb for her big family gatherings and she would make special sausages for her summer barbecues. Sinclair was nervous when he first met the Queen at a garden party at Balmoral about a decade ago, but her good humour quickly put him at ease. I looked her down down on her, this small woman who had such good banter, she was very cheeky as well. She already met Barry Florence, my business partner, and she said to him, I believe you're the other half of the partnership. She had a little smile on her face. She still had humour when I last met her about three weeks ago in my capacity as chairman of the Ballata Highland Games. She was in very good form that day. His shop is also based in Ballata, the village that the, uh, knew the Queen the best, and is the first to bid her farewell as a coffin began its journey from Scotland to London. 
Royalty is built in the village bricks. The Albert Hall opposite the train station was constructed in 1874 in memory of the Queen's Victoria's husband, and the village bridge was opened by Victoria 11 years later. Subsequent generations of royals have been considered more than monarchs by local residents who saw them as neighbours and friends. Since her childhood, the Queen regularly lifted the village with visits, walking through the streets and stopping to chat with locals. When her oak coffin arrived, silence swept through the hundreds of mourners and dignitaries who gathered along to grieve along the road in Ballater, outside the Glenmuick Church and the War Memorial. Draped with the Royal Standard of Scotland and adorned with a wreath of flowers from Balmoral, her hearse slowed to a stately pace as residents threw bouquets of flowers in front of it. The coffin led the procession of six vehicles with the Princess Royal and her husband. The Reverend David Byrd, minister for the church, said the village has lost its mother. It's like your mum has passed away. Soldiers and police officers also served the Queen at Balmora described their grief and gratitude after seeing the coffin. Ian Booth, a representative for the Royal British Legion, was handed the Queen's explosive search dog and had been uh, responsible for sweeping the streets in local towns and visit- villages she visited. Today he stood alongside the standard bearers and saluted at the cortege, passed, was lost for words, everybody fell silent. Claire had been preparing an order for the Queen when he heard on the radio Thursday afternoon that her health was failing. He thought this might be the order, last order I make up for Her Majesty the Queen. So some biteometer news. Some more corgi news. The Queen's corgis have a history of biting people, including the Queen herself. From biting police officers to beware of the dog signs, the Queen's corgis may not be as loving as they seem. A viral tweet has resurfaced some harrowing information about Queen Elizabeth's beloved corgis. It seems the late monarch's favourite pet caused quite a bit of trouble in the royal household, reportedly biting staff and even the Queen herself so much that she had to receive three three stitches. Queen Elizabeth died on uh, September the 8th in Balmoral Castle at the age of 96. Through a 70-year reign, the British monarch was known for a love of the breed and owned more than 30 corgis during the course of her life. Although the Queen's corgis seem quite lovable creatures, one Twitter user unearthed some little-known facts about the dogs, which proves that living with the furry friends may not always be pleasant. Writer and historian Hannah Rose Woods took to Twitter on September the 14th after scrolling through the Wikipedia entry for the Queen's Corgis. The section was menacingly titled Victims. I did not expect the Wikipedia entry for the Royal Corgis to be this horrifying and tweeted uh, alongside two screenshots of the site. According to the page, the Queen had her Royal staff been bitten by the Corgis on several occasions. The first one occurred in 1954 when the Pembroke Corgi named Susan who was gifted to the Queen on her 18th birthday, bit the Royal Clockwinder Leonard Hubbard at the Royal Lodge in Windsor. A New York Times archive from 1954 reported that one of the Queen's dogs, possibly Susan, also bit the Queen's guardsman one week after biting Hubbard. Later in the same year, the Queen Mother's Corgi bit a policeman on duty in London. In 1968, Parliament member Peter Dorg uh, called for the royal staff to put up a sign at Balmoral Castle, beware of the dogs, after another corgi bit a postman who was delivering a letter to the castle. This was a laughing matter, but here it isn't a laughing matter for the postman, Dog told the House of Commons, according to the St. Joseph's Gazette. 
When the corgis' bad behaviour started to get out of hand, the royal family reportedly hired an animal psychologist in 1989 in order to tame the dogs. But it wasn't just humans that the corgis seemed to bite. In 1989, the Queen Mother's dog, Ranger, led a pack of corgis, attacked and killed Chipper, the Queen's beloved doggy. And in 2003, one of the Queen's beloved dogs, Pharos, who was a 10th generation offspring, Susan, was fatally mauled by Princess Anne's uh, English bull terrier, Dottie. The incident occurred when Princess Anne visited her mother at Sandringham Palace on Christmas Day as the Queen's Corgis rushed out the door. As the door opened by the servant, the Queen's Corgis raced down the main staircase to greet Anne. The, but Dottie went for Tharis, savaging the Corgis' hind legs and breaking one. This wasn't Dottie's only offence. In November 2002, Queen Anne pled guilty to a charge under the Dangerous Dogs Act after the English Bull Terrier bit two children. The Queen was not left unscathed by her beloved Corgis either. In March 1991, she tried to break up a fight involving 10 dogs and had to receive three stitches in her left hand. Two of the Queen's mother dogs also joined in the fight. The Queen Mother's chauffeur, Joan Collins, not the Joan Collins, had to uh, receive a tetanus shot after she tried to intervene. Now I have a mental image of the Queen trying to break up a fight between 10 of her corgis stuck in my head. Uh, proposing the real story of the Royal Corgis from micro-series, wrote another user. Scottish First Minister Nicola Surgeon paid tribute to the Queen when she recently shared a funny story about misbehaving corgis. One of the Queen's young corgis, a beautiful pup called Sandy, was eating through a lamp switch, as Sturgeon said, describing the experience as tense. Thankfully, a tragedy was averted and Sandy emerged unscathed, not before a stern ticking off from her mistress. Upon Queen Elizabeth's death, much speculation has surrounded the fate of her two dogs who were left behind. It was announced on the 11th of September that the Duke and Duchess of York will inherit two of the Queen's dogs, Muick and Sandy. Both dogs were gifted to the late monarch by her son, Prince Andrew. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast today and your support of the podcast is much, much appreciated. Uh, if you like the podcast, well, hopefully you like the podcast, like and subscribe across all the platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Slacker Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible. You can basically hear the podcast anyway. As the autumnal leaves start to fall as they crinkle up and gently, uh, gently float down off the branches. You can sometimes hear the crispness of keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the fallen autumnal leaves. Coming up next, though, we have a slightly mournful but beautifully melancholic poem. This is Betjeman, Death in Leamington. She died in the upstairs bedroom by the light of the evening star that shone through the plate glass window from over Leamington Spa. Beside the lonely crochet lay patiently and unstirred, but the fingers that would have worked it were dead as a spoken word. A nurse came in with the tea things, breast high, mid the stands and chairs, but nurse was alone with her own little soul, and the things were alone with theirs. She bolted the big round window. She let the blinds unroll. She set a match to the mantel. She covered the fire with coal. And tea, she said in a tiny voice. Wake up, it's nearly five. Oh, chintzy, chintzy cheeriness, half dead and half alive. Do you know that the stucco is peeling? Do you know that the heart will stop? From those yellow little Italianti arches, do you hear the plaster drop? 
Nurse looked at the silent bedstand at the grey, decaying face as the calm of Lemington evening drifted into the place. She, she moved the table of bottles away from the bed to the wall and, tiptoeing gently over the stairs, turned down the gas in the hall. I will be back before the close of the weekend with another edition Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Stiff up a lip, have a lovely weekend. Until next time, cheerio. Thank you, Father. I love you. <laughs> fertilizer. Bit of fertilizer there.